Amen. Man, if that don't get you going this morning already, Woo. and we're just getting started again today, amen? I can't wait to get into God's Word, see what He has to say to us today. It's our series called Beach Faith. We're looking at what it means to rest in the Lord, take a vacation for the soul. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us a place at the beach in Him, Amen. Man, the, the beach is the place to go. I, I've talked to a lot of people, even here in our church, that the vacation spot this year has been the beach, right? And, you know, it's the place you go to truly relax. You don't go to the beach and see guys walking around with tool belts and steel-toed boots. You don't, you don't go there to work. You don't see guys walk around the beach with three-piece suits. You don't go there to work. You go there to rest, you take in the scenery, you take in the moment, and you find rest there. Jesus invites us to a place in him where our soul, not just once a year and not just once a week, but every day rests in him. The work is finished, and we enter into his rest. Now, in the Old Testament, they called that the Sabbath. They gave, uh, God gave certain days that they were to enter into a time of rest, the Sabbath day. And on that day, they honored him. It was a, a time once a week. It was a time where they entered into the rest that God had. In fact, God said, on the seventh day, I finished from all my labor and created rest. And he invited us to enter into that rest. You see, the work is finished. The work of us being chosen by God, finished. The work of our salvation, finished. Sins paid for, finished. Righteousness provided for us, finished. All of that done in Jesus Christ invites us to enter into it. You know, in the Old Testament, when it came to Sabbath, God gave certain promises about those who would truly take Sabbath, who delighted in taking time every week to set aside to rest in him. Now, I know a lot of people even practice that outwardly, but the promise is for those who practice it inwardly, those who truly entered into a time of rest in their soul. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 58, it's describing the, the benefits of those who who set aside that time, who recognize rest in him. And it says that there will actually be physical benefits to our body. In Isaiah 58, it says, those who call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day, he says, he will cause your health to spring forth speedily. Interesting. I look at it. Don't, don't just think I'm making that up. Isaiah 58, verse 8. And then later in verse 13 and 14, it says, Those who will delight in my holy day, he says, I will cause you to ride upon the high places. You will experience life unlike others. You will experience joy unlike others. You will experience peace unlike others if you enter into his rest. Now, uh, we've had some folks here in our church this year that have been through some difficult times. And that's the time that it's most challenging to enter into rest, right? When you're going through struggles, when you're going through health issues. And several months ago, uh, the Tarvers came to me. And uh, they told me that Rob had been diagnosed with cancer. And began to have some tests run and see what they were going to do. And in the midst of it, they trusted the Lord. They came to a place of resting in him. Went through all the procedures. Many of you helped and supported them in the process. God said, went through all of that. 
And they got word from the doctor that he was cancer-free, taken care of. Amen? Healed, <laughs> provided for. And so they, they sent me some pictures last week. They said, you know, this whole beach series thing has kind of inspired us. And they took off last Sunday down to Galveston. Check out this picture of the Tarvers there. There you go, Beach Faith 2017. There's Rob on the beach enjoying some rest. You see, you go there to find rest, but there's a place in Jesus Christ that's even more beautiful and wonderful than that when we enter into his rest. Amen? Amen. All right. So as we think about this idea of entering into beach faith, the Bible makes it clear that we're to really, really urge one another to enter into this rest. Because it's so easy to not enter into it. It's so easy to get caught up in the pressures and the struggles and the stress of this life. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish. Would it be a tragedy to live this life and live consumed with the stresses even know Jesus, but not enter into his rest, and then end up your life perishing because you did not enter into rest. So last week we talked about how it's difficult to enter into that rest when we have unanswered prayer. Today I want to talk about what it means to enter into rest when you've got unanswered needs. Now, every one of us can relate to what's going to happen today, because I'm sure we all know what it's like to have that envelope come in the mail that's a bill, and then the next envelope, a bill, another bill, and you get a phone call, and it's something you owe, and all of a sudden, you've got more you owe than you've got coming in the door, amen? Can anybody relate to that this morning? Yes. Oh, okay. Not everybody. That's wonderful. That's amazing. You must have uh, big jobs and small expenses. That's amazing. Now, every one of us know what it's like to be faced with a need, an expense, a cost, a bill, something you, you need to all of a sudden have to pay for, and you don't have a clue about how you're going to provide for it. And in the midst of it, you become a, a believer, and you know that God's called you to give to him and give to your local church. You think, there is no way I can give a little when I owe so much. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? People say, well, I, you know, tithing and giving, that's all cool and good. Maybe one day I will. Maybe one day I can. Let me get my house in order, and then I will. There's a clue there. If your house is not in order, it may be because you're not. We're going to look at this today and see how God calls us in the midst of what may be overwhelming need be able to trust him in the middle of it. Be able to give to him in the middle of it. Be able to believe that he is the one who can provide in the middle of it and rest in that and not be stressed, not be frustrated, not lose sleep at night, not be angry at your family all the time, not have to get third job, fourth job, never be home, but to rest in the Lord. Big truth we're going to walk away with today is this. Learning to rest while you wait for God to provide for your need. This is our big truth we're looking at today. And Beach Faith rests and puts Christ first while it waits for Him 
to provide for our needs. It rests in him, and it puts him first, and it waits on him. This is what God calls us to do. So our passage today is in 1 Kings chapter 17. You can turn there if you'd like, and you can follow me on screen. You can follow me on your Bible app, whatever you've got, Pages Bible, whatever it is. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah is the guy we're looking at today. Now, this story is the prequel to last week's story. Last week, we looked at Elijah as well. And we all know what it's like to watch a movie that's a prequel. It's the one that comes before, right? If we have any Star Wars fans in the room? All right, thank you. The rest of you didn't want to admit it. Uh, so Star Wars fans, you know what it's like to see a prequel, you know, the story that came out before the story you already saw. And man, with as many movies as they got, it gets a little confusing. But in this story, Elijah last week was called by God to go to Ahab, the wicked king of the day, and to tell him, King, there's not going to be any more rain on this land until you repent, until I say it's going to rain. And the story unfolded, and we watched what happened as Elijah had this battle with the false prophets. And then they ended up being truly what they were, false prophets. God provided. Elijah killed them all. And then Elijah waited for the rain to come. And he waited, and he waited. And he knew God had made the promise, but he had to wait. He had to rest until the promise would be fulfilled. And he rested in it, and he, he sent his servant and said, Is there any rain yet? The servant came back, No, no, boss, there's no rain. Is there any rain yet? Go back and look again. He came back, No, boss, there's still no rain. Seven times that happened. He kept waiting. Is God going to provide? Is God going to provide? And Elijah kept saying, He's going to provide. I know He's going to provide. Seventh time, the servant came back and said, Hey, um, you know, there is a cloud, but it's just about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's it. You better get on down this mountain because it's about to rain. And sure enough, it did. God answered. God loves to answer and provide for those who will completely trust him. Who will completely trust him. If you're walking through life, and you refuse to, number one, admit that you have need, and two, believe that he can meet it, you're going to miss out. Because God provides for those who completely trust him. So the story today, Elijah, the prequel here, the story that's kind of part of the story, but the backstory to it, happens for us starting in verse 8. You see, because God had sent Elijah to go tell Ahab, Ahab was mad. Ahab was mad that this man of God had come and told him these things. And so Elijah had to go hide. And Elijah went and hid when all this was going on in the middle of the story. And it says that God told him to hide in a certain place. And that while Elijah was there, God provided for him in a very unusual way. Because Elijah didn't carry a big backpack with him with some cans of pork and beans in it. Elijah was out there by himself in this deserted, dry area. And it says while Elijah was there that God sent ravens to bring food to him. And he provided a brook to bring water to him. And he was provided for in that most miraculous, unusual way. Can you imagine a bird bringing you food every day? The Bible says it happened morning and in the evening. Food came in. Yeah, airmail just came right on in, dropped it off. He ate the food, drank the water, and he was there. But there came a day when the raven stopped. The water dried up. Elijah said, well, guess it's time to move on. And it was. God provided. 
God dried it up. Now God says to Ahab, I'm going to, I mean, says to Elijah, I'm going to send you to a new place. And here's where our story begins today. Verse 8. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now, that's what we say here in Texas, Sidon. If you're reading in the Hebrew, it's Sidon. But I'll say Sidon because we're in Texas today. And that's how probably we're all reading in our minds. And he says, and dwell there. I want you to go to this place, which, by the way, was a Gentile city. There were people there who did not know God. In fact, most of the people there, if not all of them, did not know God. They served false gods. And so God sends Elijah to that spot. I want you to go and dwell there. I want you to live there. Remember, Elijah's got no pork and beans with him. Ravens have stopped feeding him. He's got nothing. And he says, see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, if you were a widow in that day, you had it difficult. If you're a widow in any day, you've got it difficult because the one that was providing for you is now gone. Part of your income, if not all your income, is gone. And this widow is having to provide for herself. And a widow is usually, not always, but sometimes the one who is leaning on someone else to provide for them. And God says, Elijah, I'm going to provide a widow to provide for you. Now that just is strange. That's just unusual. God's going to provide a widow. Someone in need is going to be the one to provide for his needs. And Elijah's going to have to have some faith. Elijah's going to have to have some beach faith to go to this place find this widow, and ask her for food. How awkward would that be? But he's trusting God in the midst of it because God has said, I will provide for you, and Elijah trusts. But Elijah's really not the one in the story with the greater need. It's the widow. The widow's the one who's alone. The widow's the one who's hurting. The widow's the one who's struggling. And she has great need. And God arranges a day, a day that she will meet a man named Elijah. She doesn't know it. She gets up that morning unaware that her life is about to be forever changed. She gets up and gets ready to do her thing unaware that God's about to provide for her in ways that she has never seen before. But this is what God does. Here's our first big point today, if you're taking notes, taking pictures of the screen, whatever it is. God intentionally leads us into times of need in order to reveal his glory. Intentionally. God will lead you into a time of need. What is the first thing that goes through your head whenever you start having a need? When the bills start piling up and all of a sudden things start breaking down, you know what typically is the first response of most people today? And I'll say Christians. Well, I guess I must have done something wrong. He's out to get me now. Right? Hello? You know, you start thinking, man, I, it's probably because of that thing I said last week to my wife. It's probably why the car broke down. You know, oh, it's probably because, you know, I did that thing to my husband and he, and all, I know God, you know, all that stuff. They start making up all these things. Oh, I bet God's out to get me now. I bet that's why this is happening to me. But look here, God may introduce that into your life as a form of discipline, but sometimes he just leads you into a time of need so he can show off his glory. 
And it's not time to turn the focus in on yourself and say, oh, what have I done wrong? What did I do? What am I causing? What? It's not about you always. God will lead you into places where you have need and it wasn't your fault. We have no record that this widow had done anything wrong to lead her to this place. We have no record that Elijah had done anything wrong to lead him to this place. Yet they both find themselves in place of need. And God has intentionally designed that moment to happen. And he will sovereignly arrange that to happen in your life. You could put together your 401ks. You could put together your savings accounts. You could put together the finest house cars, whatever you've got. But God will sometimes introduce need into your life. And it does not mean he's left you. It means he is with you. And he's about to do something greater than you could have ever imagined if you'll trust him. So we find two people in a place of great need about to experience greater glory than they've ever seen before. The passage goes on. It says this. So... He, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. He did what God told him to do. He went on to the place where he was going to have need. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. That had to be awkward. That had to be difficult for him to ask someone who already was in need to ask her to bring him a cup of water. Would you please get me some water and bring it to me? As awkward as it was, Elijah obeyed. And if this wasn't enough, look what happens next. Verse 11. And as she was going to get it, I mean, she faithfully says, okay. And she heads off. It says, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Thanks for the drink, but could you give me some bread also? Wow. This is awkward, unusual, but he is stepping out in faith. He's doing what God told him to do. He's asking when he's in need. You know, that is, for 21st century Americans living in Texas, maybe even Ovilla, that's a hard thing to do, to admit that you have need. To say to somebody, hey, I'm struggling and we'll even get the courage to say generalities. Hey, I'm really struggling at my job. Hey, I'm really struggling with this personal matter. Hey, I have an unspoken prayer request. You know, those are all the safe things we say. But nobody wants to say, hey, I don't have enough money for my bills this week. I'm really struggling. You see, it goes to the core of who we are. Can't provide. What have you done? What caused this? And here Elijah humbles himself to ask somebody that no one would ever think of asking. Our second big point this morning is this. What we see as an impossible situation is the setting in which God does his greatest work. You see, it looked like it was going to be the impossible 
situation. It looked like there's no way. How could a widow who can't even provide for herself provide for a man who has need? How in the world could that happen? And yet God puts them both into this situation intentionally. On Wednesday nights uh, with the student ministry, we've been going through a passage in the Old Testament about a man named Gideon. And we've learned that God also, in his story, took him through an impossible situation to show off his glory. You see, when, we met, when you meet Gideon in the scripture, he's hiding out. He's a young man, and he's hiding, and he's terrified of this neighboring army that's come in and invaded the land. And every time they plant something, they take it. Every time they grow something, they take it. And God says to Gideon, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. You. You're going to be the guy. It looks like an impossible situation. And God takes him through a whole scenario of events. But finally, Gideon gets, he gets a little bit of courage. Okay, God, I'm going to follow you. And he starts talking to people in the town and gets the soldiers together. Yeah, we're going to take down the Midianites. This isn't right. We're going to do this thing. And he gathers together, the Bible says, 32,000 soldiers. He really gets some faith and courage. 32,000. And Gideon says, all right, Lord, let's do this. And God says, hey, um, you got too many soldiers. I know you're going up what looks like to be a swarm of an, of an army, but you have too many. You see, if I let you win with this many people, I won't get the glory. So Gideon, send home those who are afraid. The Bible says 20,000 left. 20,000 of the 32,000 just And God says, hmm, still too many. I can't, I can't really do my greatest work with this. And God's arranging an impossible, unfair situation. He says, all right, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all the men that are left. I want you to go down to the river, and I want you to get, tell them to all get a drink. Okay. So they get down to the river, and God says, I want you to watch how they all get a drink. All right. So the men, most of the men get down on all fours like this, and they drink like an animal, like a dog, like a cat. We have a crazy cat at home. This cat, he loves water, and his bowl sits on this mat. And he'll get that mat, and he'll pull it just to see the water splash around. Then he'll pull it some more and walk backwards and watch the water splash around. He'll drag that thing all the way into the living room. Weird. That's what cats and dogs do. They drink down on all fours like this, right? But God says, I want you to watch the others. There's going to be some men who are going to drink like this. They're going to put their hand down the water, and they're going to drink like this. Those are the men I want you to choose. These men have an eye for others. These men take care of one another. These men don't put themselves in a vulnerable situation. They keep their eyes open. And Gideon chooses them. And guess how many there are? 300. He starts with 32,000. He goes down to 300. And God says, now we can win this battle. <laughs> Crazy. God intentionally puts us in situations that look impossible so that he can get glory. So in your situation today, don't think, man, my financial situation looks impossible. I better check out of faith until I can get it all back together. Then I'll go back to church. Mm -mm. It's not about you. God has something big he wants to do. And what you see as impossible right now is going to be the very thing God's going to use to show up in a way you've never seen him before. Amen? But I'm telling you, it's so counter to all of our natural thought processes, right? 
We don't, we don't like the impossible situations. We're trying to figure a way to get out of them. We're trying to figure out what we did to cause it. Instead of resting in it and saying, okay, God, you led me here. I'll trust you here. There's something about this moment, a moment of need, the moment where the bills have come in, the moment where the catastrophe happens, the moment where you can't provide for yourself. That moment right there is important because you'll choose something in that moment. You'll choose to trust God and believe that he can provide or you'll choose to believe a lie from the enemy. God's out to get me. God's turned his back on me. God's not going to provide for me. It must be something wrong I did. And in that moment, you'll pull back, you'll walk away, and you'll stop serving, you'll stop trusting. And the enemy will win the day. Do not let that happen. Our story goes on. It says in the next verse, And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make some for you, for yourself and your son. Dan, we missed a verse. Let's go back because I think we missed 12. He said, prequel to the prequel here. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. This is the woman. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This was the woman's situation. She didn't have anything. In fact, she's gathering for her last meal. She's got sticks because she's gathering them, cooking the last bread. Now we get to verse 13, and it says this. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Go back and cook the meal for you and your son. But here's the deal. Make me a small cake from it first. You see, Elijah represents God to her in this situation. She doesn't know about the one true God. She's known about all these other gods. And Elijah says to her, I'm going I'm to tell you something. When you go back, go ahead and make your food. But before you make some for yourself, make some for me and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. He was setting in order a principle for her. He was saying, I want to teach you something about the one true God. You see, he is God over all. He is God alone. There are no other equals to him. And when you serve him, you serve him with your whole heart, and you serve him first. This was a brand new concept for her, and a brand new concept for many people in our country, in our churches even today. You see, what typically happens is this. We start on Monday, we go to work, bills come in, Tuesday Go to lunch, Wednesday, go to dinner, Thursday, buy some clothes, Saturday, out to eat, Sunday, let's go to church. Okay. Honey, do you think we should tithe today? Have you seen what we spent this week? Yeah, right. And they do not 
give to the Lord because they put God last. They say, if I have something left over, then I'll trust you, God. And they're making a powerful statement about their lives. I'm going to see what I can do first, and then I'll see if I have a little bit left over for God. And Elijah was putting a powerful principle into place for her. I want you to go, and before, before you prepare food for yourself, before you provide for your son, prepare a little cake for me and bring it to me. Then go back and provide for yourself and your son. This is the principle of Scripture. This is the truth about how God teaches us to walk with him. It's the law or the principle of first fruits. We put him first and then he provides for our needs. In Proverbs chapter 3, if I could find it in my notes. In Proverbs chapter 3, it is gone. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The Bible says, if you really want to see me work in your life, then put me first. Put me in the place of first fruits so that when you receive possessions, whatever they are, honor me with it first. Show me you believe. Show me you trust me. Give of the first fruits, not what's left over. So if God gives you time in your week, you put him first. Did you know that's what we're doing right now? Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. Oh, I know you might think of it, this is the last day of the week. But in actuality, this is the first day of the week. What we are doing here today is we are honoring God by putting him first in our week. This is not the end day. This is the beginning day. We're honoring him. And when you honor him in your week, even though you say, man, I'm so busy this week. I've got so much going on. But I'm going to honor the Lord first because he is God. Then he blesses. If you start your day and say, man, I've got so much to do today, but I'm going to honor the Lord first. And you get up and you spend time with him. He'll bless your day. He'll cause you to overflow. He'll cause you to ride on the high places. He'll cause you to see things you haven't seen before. And when it, even when it comes to finances, the principle we operate by is not what's last and left over. It is, God, you have provided for me. I will put you first. I will prepare a little cake for you. In the Old Testament, that little was a tithe of 10%. It was an amount set aside that said, God, I honor you as my king and Lord. You are the one who provides for my needs. You are the one. And I am believing by faith in you, not in my strength. And I will give of the first fruits to you. And the Bible says to, to those who do, whether it be your talents, your time, your possessions, your money, God will bless that part of your life. It's the way he operates. And here God was using Elijah to teach this principle to this woman.
Our point, Beach Faith puts Christ first even when it seems unusual or impossible. And then here's the promise that that God gives Elijah and Elijah gives to the woman. It says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Elijah says, here's the deal. If you'll go back and prepare this little cake for me, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back to your bin and you're going to think there's no way I'd have enough to make enough now for me and my son. I had a little and I gave part of that to you. And now what am I going to do about me and my son? And God says, if you'll honor me, I'll make it so that every time you go back to that bin, there'll always be flour. And every time you go back for some oil, there'll always be oil. That's the promise. And he was teaching this woman who did not know the one true God a brand new truth. If we'll honor him as God and Lord over all, if you'll seek first the kingdom, then I'll provide for all your needs. This past week, I talked to um, Caleb and Brianna. And a couple weeks ago, something unusual happened. They were leaving here from church on a Sunday around noon. And as they were leaving, they had stopped in the parking lot. Caleb was out, so we stopped. So what's going on? He said, my door won't close. What? Yeah, the, the back door won't close. It just keeps swinging open. Really? I don't know. Let's get out and look at it. And looked at it, and of course, I think, I'll fix it. I'll shut it. It just swings open again. Oh, well, let me, let me seem like I know what I'm doing here. And I stick my finger in the little hole and jiggle the little plastic thing around. Surely that'll fix it. It just, you can't get to close. Well, then Kent stops. And Kent's Mr. Fix-It, you know. He can fix everything. So he's working on it there and doing his thing. And he's there, let's try it now. It, it won't shut. It will not latch and stay shut. So Kent gets this, you know, strap out, hooks it on the back tailgate, runs it over the car, runs it around the other doorknob, and he drove around for a couple of days looking all gangster, you know. He's got this strap going across his car, but the door's shut. So Caleb and Brianna, they're thinking, this is crazy. What are we going to do now? We're going to have to go to the shops. There'll be more money, and, you know, funds are tight already, and what are we going to do? So they take it to a trusted mechanic that they have, and he says, you know what, you need to go down to the Ford company and go tell them. All right. They go to the Ford company, and they show up. Ford company looks at it, and they say, hey, um, you didn't know this, but there's actually been a recall on Ford vehicles like this. Their doors just fly open sometimes when you're going down the highway. Really? Yeah, bring it on in. We'll fix it for free. We'll give you an oil change. And what else did they do, Caleb? They rotated the tires. All that for free. You see, God provided for them in a way that was very unusual. But God met a need. Now they didn't have to pay for an oil change. And they got the car fixed free. And not driving down the highway and the door just, whoop, that would be weird. God provides sometimes in some very unusual ways. If you'll trust him, if you'll believe him, so many people check out in their faith and they say, well, I don't know, maybe God will do it, maybe he won't. Listen, that is not faith. Faith has 
confident assurance that God will work. And if you just check out with, well, I don't know, we'll just see what happens. You're going to be doing this for a long time. Because the Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him, who rest in him, who trust him. So you may have a need. I'm telling you today, don't check out and say, well, I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Have confident faith. God is going to provide for my needs. I trust him. I believe him. He is strong enough, big enough, capable enough to meet my needs. I am his child. And he did it one time, and he will do it again. Amen? He will provide, and that's what you do. You put your faith in him that he will do it again. Here's our big truth for this one. God loves to provide miraculously for those who put him first in every area of their life. The area that you come up against need with today is the area he's looking to do something big in. That's how you know. You face a need in your family right now. Maybe it's in relationships. Get ready. God's about to do something big. You're facing a need in your job situation. Get ready. God's about to do something big. You're facing a need in your finances. Get ready. God's about to do something big. If you will trust him in that moment and believe that he can and will provide. You have confident faith in that, just like Elijah did. Here's what the Bible says next. It says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. She said on that first day, okay, this is weird, but he said, go take what I've got, and instead of feeding myself first to provide for him, this seems unnatural. This doesn't seem right. It should be that I prepare something for me and my son, and if maybe he doesn't eat so much and I don't eat so much, we break off a few crumbs and make it look like a pretty plate and take it to him, Right? But that's not what she did. She believed what God said, and she made a cake for him first and took it to Elijah. She trusted God. And when she returned, she went back, and there was more, more flour, more oil. And I don't know how long this process went. It says here for many days. We know from the rest of the story it was at least three more years before it rained. I don't know how God provided. I just know it must have been an unusual way. Because that's what God does. I don't know if she went in every day and all of a sudden, whoop, there was more flour. Whoop, there was more oil. I don't know if someone dropped by and said, hey, just stop by. I want to bring you some more flour and oil today. I don't know if that went on for three years. I don't know what happened. But God miraculously provided for her needs in that time. She and her household ate for many days. It didn't stop. It says the bin of flour was not used up. Nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This whole time, God provided because she put him first. Oh, there's so much that God wants to do in our lives. If we'll have the confident faith to believe that he will provide, that we will put him first. If that means in your marriage, you say, God, 
There's so much more I want to see you do in our, in our marriage. I'm going to put you first in my marriage. Get ready. God's going to do something miraculous. You say, with my kids, I just really want to see God do something great. Well, then you put him first when it comes to relating to your kids. Don't let prayer be an afterthought. Don't let the idea of showing grace be an afterthought. Start with that. Start there. Give the Lord the first part and watch him provide. You may say, well, my job, I just don't know what's going to happen. I just, I'm uncertain about my future. Honor him with what he's given you. If he's given you a job, honor him on that job. You do what is with integrity. You do what is right and true. You work with your heart serving the Lord, not just men, and watch what happens. When it comes to your finances, don't put God last. Put him first. God, I give you the first part of my week. I give you the first part of every day. And I give you the first part of the increase that you've given me. And watch what God does. When you do, it's going to be a step of faith that you're saying to him, God, I'm seeking you first. You are first in my life. And when you do, God will provide in miraculous ways that you can't figure out today. That woman wasn't going to say, hmm, now let's see here. Now if I give him a little bit, I wonder how this is going to, okay, well maybe, don't try to figure out what God's going to do. Let him do what he wants to do. He only calls you to obedience, and you might be totally blown away by how he provides. The New Testament tells us that Jesus was on a hillside with the disciples, and there were thousands who had come to hear him that day. And Jesus said to the disciples, hey, I want you to feed everybody. And uh, he knew full well they had no food. And they're like, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do here. And a little boy comes up, and he offers his lunch. He offers what he has. He doesn't say, I know this isn't much. He doesn't say, I can't figure out how in the world God's going to work. He just offered it. He said, here, put this, use this. And Jesus took it and he broke it and blessed it. And it fed a multitude that day. You never know how God's going to provide. You never know what God's going to do. Don't try to analyze him. Don't try to put him in a box. Don't try to figure him out before you obey him. Obey him and watch him work in ways you've never seen before. Let's be a people who truly believe that he can do those things. Let's be a people who all of a sudden believe that what he did in the Old Testament, he can do today. Let's don't think that miracles were just for a time past. Let's don't think that experiments like we did this morning with the children where we're walking down the waterway here on dry land. Let's don't think, oh, that's just Bible talk from a long time ago. Let's confidently believe God made a way then, God can make a way now. You might not see how there's going to be a way now, but he can make a way. You might see a mountain in your path right now. God can remove that mountain. Don't think that because your bin of flour and provision is empty right now that you might as well just give up, walk away, and do what that woman had determined to do, just die. That's no faith. Rise up, believe, stand and believe. God is going to provide. God is going to provide for my needs, and I will trust him first. Even though I can't see the way, I'll believe that he can do it again. Amen? That's our last point. 
He will do it again for those who will believe. How many of you right now are facing a need that is beyond your ability to provide for? Whether it be financial, relational, job, you can't figure out what's going to happen next in your life. It's almost all of us. Every one of us are at a place where we stand at the edge of the Red Sea. We stand at the edge of the Jordan River. We stand at the place where we could look and say, man, the enemy's coming. What am I going to do? I don't see any way out. I can't go this way. I can't go that way. I can't go this way. I can't figure out the answer. Do what God told Moses to do. Believe that he can make a way. And with that, Moses confidently stretched out his hand over that sea. And God parted the waters. God can part the waters in your situation, whether it be your finances, your job, your marriage, whatever it might be. He is God. Will you trust him in that? Will you believe him in that today? This is what he calls us to. This is a faith he asks us to have with him. Would you stand and bow your heads this morning?